Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast. We're now going to be taking our second, or looking at our second part of Chapter 12 with the uh, turn of the 15th century. And uh, we're going to be focusing this time on uh, looking at China and Europe. So, starting off here, we need to talk about China. Uh, Yuan Dynasty gets taken out uh, by the Ming. And um, that's because kind of the plague wreaks havoc in there and, and just the uh, Yuan aren't, aren't great at controlling China. They don't want to adopt the culture. Uh, they, they're just um, not liked by the, the Chinese. And so uh, the Ming uh, lead a rebellion and they uh, will, will take over uh, and they'll try to rebuild from uh, the damage caused by the Mongols. Uh, one way they try to rebuild is they try to get rid of all the Mongol history that happened. They try to erase it and make it seem like it never happened because it's such an insult to them that a barbarian tribe came in and uh, wreaked havoc on it. Uh, as well as they'll go back to promoting Confucianism, so we see an emphasis on uh, the Confucian ideals and footbinding coming back into style, even though it was banned during the Yuan Dynasty, and though it was banned, it never really went away. Um, and uh, with Confucianism and with that idea of erasing the Mongols, they create a uh, complete history um, of China and or they compile a history of China with 11,000 volumes in it. And uh, within Beijing, they're going to keep that the capital. But within Beijing, they're going to create what is known as the Forbidden City and the Temple of Heaven. And that's where the emperor is going to reside separate from the rest of the um, community or society. And uh, they will also bring back, because of Confucianism, the civil service exam and a very centralized government with the emperor um, at the head of it. And then he will have a court of eunuch advisors. Um, eunuchs, if you don't know what that are uh, or what that means, is they are men that have been emasculated. And so uh, they're there to advise him and um, kind of similar to the, the slaves to the Roman uh, emperors, if we wanted to compare it to something. Um so uh, to rebuild and kind of erase the Mongols and the damage that happened there, they got to go and uh, rebuild the farms, canals, uh, reservoirs, irrigation systems, dikes. Uh, they try to replant some of the forests and things like that. So this is a huge task for that uh, bureaucracy that's there, but uh, they're able to uh, carry it out uh, as well. They don't just focus on China. Um, they do expand and they will expand um, to uh, include uh, parts of northern China, uh, they'll push uh, further west uh, and get to the borders of uh, what is today Tibet. Uh, but uh, they also go looking out abroad. And so this is where you see the great explorer Zhang He, uh, who travels uh, all throughout the Indian Ocean, showing how great China is in giant ships, um, known as treasure ships, that would dwarf what um, Marco, or not Marco Polo, but uh, Christopher Columbus or Vasco da Gama who uh, who were sailing uh, about a hundred years later. So um, the one thing is they just go to find tribute. People to say, oh, China's awesome, and then get gifts back and bring back things. So you got stories of him, uh, Zheng He, bringing back giraffes and other uh, exotic animals from Africa and around the world. Um, and um, they give tribute, and it's just it, it's showing the, the power of China at the time and, and what's going on. Uh, there and so they get a lot of loyalty from people but it doesn't last and uh, what happens is after the death of the first emperor Yongle um, it stops and Zheng He is kind of retired from from going and sailing out and uh, with with no really official support China doesn't focus on the Indian Ocean trade anymore I mean they still got merchants going on and doing all the sales there and, and making as much as they can from it but uh, really China's focus goes more to land-based empire 
and and conquering those territories and integrating those new territories that they get into the empire. Um, and so we see China kind of shift to isolationist in a sense, but not inc not uh, fully cut off from the rest of society. On the flip side, in Europe, um, we see. Europe starting to rise and become stronger. Um, the separate independent kingdoms are getting stronger. Their their governments, their kings, their monarchs are getting stronger individually. So you get, we're getting more of an idea of an absolute monarchy. Uh, and so we see this in Spain, Portugal, France, England. Um, England will kind of be the exception because they'll be uh, eventually, uh, they'll stop that progress. Um, actually, they already kind of have limited the progress of the monarch in becoming an absolute monarch and having full power because of the Magna Carta. Um, and so England will be kind of on a different path from that, but still uh, the king and then the uh, parliament that's there to advise the king and, and sign off on things that he's doing um, will, will, will get stronger and, and England will become more united. Uh, Moscow also on the fringe of Europe will begin to rise, but... Uh, it'll always be kind of looked at as backwards, even when it gets, um, this will be later in next unit, but when we talk about Peter the Great, um, it, they'll still be kind of viewed as backwards uh, from that. Um, but the big thing that these governments are able to do, because they're getting stronger and they're uniting their peoples more, is they're able to tax, uh, they're able to have a more effect effective administration, and uh, the militaries are becoming better and becoming more and more professional. Um, the biggest reason for this is, uh, again, the Hundred Years' War, uh, between England and France uh, leads to a um, near constant army presence. And so they were starting to realize that, hey, we need some professional soldiers here. And so you, you have that kind of going on. We don't have a truly, truly professional military, I would say, yet. Uh, we're going to see that more as we get into Unit 4 with the rise of uh, gunpowder weapons um, or more gunpowder weapons. Um, the Renaissance um, will also come about during this time. It's the rebirth of Greco-Roman culture, uh, which is what the Renaissance stands for. It stands for rebirth. Um, and it starts in uh, Italy around 1350, and it'll go until about 1500. Uh, it is really only a movement for the elites. It doesn't really affect the commoners unless you're going to a church where you're having these paintings uh, or the frescoes or um, whatever it may be, this great artwork that's coming about. Um, being displayed there. Otherwise, I mean, you're not going to be reading the books that are coming out. It's You don't have the money to go and pay for the artist yourself. So it's really just kind of the elites that get the benefit of this. And um, they use the, so for the art, because that's the main focus of the Renaissance, or at least what we kind of focus on in here, although there's a lot of technological innovations and other things. Um, with the arts, they focus on the Greek and Roman designs of things, so uh, they're trying to copy the Roman statues and, and paintings and frescoes, making them look very realistic like they're humans, but um, they then surpass it. They don't just stop there. They go and make it look even more realistic. Uh, and So you get the great artists here like a Da Vinci, a Raphael, a Michelangelo, a Donatello, uh, a Greco, uh, all these guys um, do some of the greatest works of art that... Um, that we've seen in history uh, and they're they're highly valued today because of uh, what they did um, and and how they reshaped art um, so you got that um, in the academic realm of things you get an idea of humanism coming about which is talking about how um, kind of empowering humans and saying we can do more than just sitting around and waiting or relying on religion to fix things or God to come down and fix things and so you get kind of some secular ideas coming about um, 
as well with the humanism, you get ideas of studying grammar, history, politics, poetry, rhetoric, and ethics. And uh, one of the greatest, a couple of the great examples of this are um, uh, Erasmus um, and his um, studies, but even bigger than the name that you should probably remember is going to be Machiavelli. Uh, Machiavelli uh, is famous for his book known as The Prince, and uh, it talks about how you can have political power and how you should take it and, and how to keep control of that power. So um, you have those great thinkers going on. And uh, for the most part, ladies are left out of this, although there are a few exceptions um, with uh, Christine de uh, Pizan, um, who writes The Cities of Ladies, which is maybe the the start. You could maybe like like the 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 start of feminism but uh it's kind of a stretch to go there um because really nothing kind of moves out of that we're not going to see a major push for um women in the academics until we get to i would say kind of a mary wollstonecraft and in, in the enlightenment era so that's that's a couple hundred years down the road but she she does kind of get the ball starting to roll very slowly and um one thing in common with kind of all these the yards, the humanists, um, and the scholars and everything else is that uh, there there is a shift that I kind of mentioned of going from religion to focusing on the world, uh, which is that idea of secularism. However, um, it's not entirely that. I mean, if you look at the artwork, the most common artwork that you're going to see there is Madonna and Child. So uh, Mary Magdalene and her son Jesus uh, being born. So that's the most common thing. Religion is still an integral part, but you have people starting to work their way out of this, which is going to set up kind of the modern secular world, as well as uh, some of the economic principles going on, just like we talked about um, with the uh, city-states in Italy and stuff like that in the Middle Ages. Um, they're going to set up the basis for kind of capitalism and what we know as capitalism. And kind of the last thing to talk about this is uh, similar to China, uh, the Europeans, with their money, decide to go out. Now, they're not doing uh, necessarily a uh, uh, mission for uh, tribute or anything like that to show how great they are. They're going to conquer and make money and, and find new lands so that they can uh, go and afford things that uh, are on the Silk Road or to go find a route to the Silk Road so they can make their own money off of it instead of going through the Muslim traders and the Byzantines. Uh, who the Byzantines will eventually kind of disappear uh, in 1453 when they uh, when that empire falls. Um, but uh, with that, uh, you start to see Portugal really being the first one under Henry the Navigator, uh, pushing to, to begin sailing uh, south and get around Africa. And so you see them starting to sail south in 1415. And then uh, by 1497, the Vasco da Gama has uh, led Portugal into the Indian Ocean and kind of raids and pillages there and takes stuff back to to uh, Portugal to show how great things are. And Portugal will set up an empire there. Um, and on the flip side of that, Spain's also sending people out, and they send Christopher Columbus out to go west. Now, Christopher Columbus eventually lands in the Americas, not realizing it's the Americas initially, um, and thinking that he had landed in Asia because he thought the world was much smaller than it was. Uh, luckily for him, he ran into another continent because otherwise he wouldn't have had enough food and supplies to make it. So um, these expeditions are much smaller uh, on a smaller scale. We're not going to go into all the things that happened with them, uh, but just understand this is what's going on as we're getting closer, as we're transitioning from era three to era four. And 
because of their successes, they're going to keep doing this, unlike China, who, even though they were very successful, decides eh, this isn't worth our time. So that's kind of China and Europe in a nutshell. Um, next, uh, we'll be taking a look at... Um, actually, sorry, there's one thing I forgot to, to mention here. Um, this this Spain-Portugal China or Spain -Portugal thing will become a rivalry um, between them, and they'll start going. And then that's going to catch on to the rest of Europe, as we saw with, um, with the fighting and the independence of the different groups. Uh, that led to competition, led them to build up on each other. Same thing's going to happen here, which is why we're going to get a scramble for the Americas, and then later we'll get a scramble for, for Africa and the last bits of uh, colonization. So um, that's the last thing that I forgot to mention there but that's that's china and, and europe in comparison in, in a nutshell and much different from how we saw china and, and rome back in era two